But sin, seizing the opportunity, produced in me all manner of evil. Here is the Apostle Paul speaking of sin as a personal force. Sin, seizing its opportunity, produces in us, Paul says, quote, all manner of evil. Last Sunday, we talked about how for Paul, death is a reality that demands to be personified. The death is not just something that happens to us, but is instead a being that invades. Well, today I want us to consider how sin, too, for Paul, is a reality that demands to be personified. That demands to be understood not just as something we do, but likewise as a force that does something to us. In other words, in the Apostle Paul's theology, we don't just sin with a lowercase s. We do that. But we also experience ourselves underneath the compelling agency of sin. And here we're speaking of sin with a capital S. And that leads me to a very useful word. It's a big fancy one. It's the word supervenience. Now, supervenience refers to any time that the sum total of individual parts come together to create an all-new reality, a new reality that then exerts downward causative pressure on each individual member of the set. Take for example, a molecule of water. Fascinatingly, a lone molecule of water is not wet, and thus it has no wetness. But when countless water molecules come together as a set, an all-new reality is formed by their aggregation, a new reality that we know as wetness. And from thence forward, each molecule in the set is indeed wet. Even though if it were isolated from the rest of the set, it no longer would be. Here, in this example, wetness supervenes on each molecule in the set. Are we having fun yet? Okay, here's why I bring up supervenience this morning. I bring up supervenience this morning because in the same way that wetness supervenes on individual water molecules, so too does capital S sin intervene on individual human beings, exerting downward force on each member of the human set. You see, this is how capital S sin works, and this is why it therefore demands to be personified. Because not only do we sin, yes, and not only are we caught up in structures of sin, yes, 
But because so too does sin, here sin with a capital S, emerging from the aggregation of our sinful humanity, so too does sin then give rise to an all-new reality. A new reality with force and with agency. A being of sorts that supervenes on us in ways we barely even notice and in ways that we struggle mightily to resist. Think, for instance, of the internet and of smart technology and of social media. And think about how the printer messed up my sermon. (laughs) We like to think that we are entirely free individuals who make entirely free individual choices about how we use our technology and about how we engage things like social media. But we're not. Because along with being individual agents, we are also, when connecting to the internet, part of a bound set. And once part of this bound set, a new reality, one with agency and with force, emerges and then supervenes on our individual natures. And so what happens then is that as soon as we sign in, an algorithm goes to work showing us content that will elicit from us our most emotional reactions. And because cognitive neuroscience has now conclusively proven that anger and envy and outrage and resentment are the emotions that generate our deepest emotional reactions, the always self-upgrading algorithm is therefore compelled to show us content that will make us angry and envious and outraged and resentful. And because this feels so good, because it releases such remarkable amounts of dopamine through our neural networks, we therefore keep looking. We keep scrolling. And then once we finally signed off, having had for the moment enough of a dopamine high, the smart technology, because of how smartly it's been designed, will almost immediately pull us back in. For it feels as if there is a gravitational pull coming from our pockets. In short, sin with a capital S is now supervening. For whereas we are in principle free individual agents, we are now experiencing the downward force of an all-new reality. And this all-new reality here in the case of current technology, rewards and incentivizes negative provocation. Here's a sad and tragic story to make clear the principle and my point. At my former church, there was a men's Sunday school class that had been meeting together since the 1960s. By the time I arrived, the group was down to about 15 men, and they had, by this point, been through a great deal of life together. 
And in all that time, their political differences had never caused strain or fracture, either in their class or in their friendships. But then, come 2015, in the run-up to that tumultuous 2016 election season, several of these men joined Facebook. And at first, it all seemed benign, kind of cute, really. Like, hey, look, the old guys are getting Facebook. And so during those first months, the men, in response to things they'd seen on the site, would merely trade sarcastic barbs with one another. But then, as the algorithms continued to do their work, which is to say as sin continued to supervene, a shift began taking place. Suddenly, rather than trading good-natured barbs with one another on Sunday mornings, They began trying to provoke one another to anger and to resentment. Soon enough, the lessons on Sunday morning were entirely beside the point. For everyone knew that politics were going to come up, and that arguments were going to ensue, and that the ostensible lesson would become moot. Well, so it was that one of the group members, who had himself not gotten on Facebook, came to me one day lamenting the situation and saying he'd never seen anything like it, not in their near 50 years of meeting together. He cited his friend's newfound cruelty and anger and belligerence. I kid you not, this man nearly cried to me talking about it. Because you see himself not in the system, not under the spell of the algorithm's tribalistic supervenience, this man sincerely could not understand what was happening. Now, I wish this story had a happy ending, but it doesn't, which unfortunately is what makes the story so apt for drawing out the principle of supervenience and making clear the point that I'm trying to make. For in the end, those relationships never did return to what they were. Some of the members left for different Sunday school classes. Some of the members took their departures as prideful evidence of their conquest. And some of the members simply stopped coming to church altogether. And there you have it. The supervenient nature of capital S sin, transforming otherwise faithful and friendly humans into belligerent and provocative combatants. Now, having told that story, let me now tell you another one, a happier one, a story about a more positive kind of supervenience. And it goes like this. At this same church, in fact, not too long after the story I just finished telling, I found myself one evening preparing for a meeting that I simply knew was going to be a mess. It was a meeting of the Constitution and Bylaws Committee, and at the time the story takes place, we were about a year into a full rewrite of the church bylaws. 
Well, at the last meeting, things had gotten tense between two of the committee members, and their disagreement had since spilled out and had begun to spread into other relationships within the church. Now, their difference of opinion, truth be told, was over a very minor point. But the two individuals in question were not prepared to give in an inch. So I just knew that this night was going to be a debacle. And sure enough, when these two committee members showed up that evening, you could see it on their faces. They had come for a fight. Well, as the six o'clock hour arrived and it was time to begin, the committee chair called the meeting to order. But as she did, she said that before beginning our meeting that evening, she had something she needed to share with us. And from there, with a slight tremor in her voice, she began to share with us that that day, her husband had been diagnosed with stage three cancer. Then with tears in her eyes, she asked if someone else would be willing to open our meeting in prayer. Well, myself stunned by this revelation, I looked around the room, assuming that, as is often the case, the responsibility would fall to me as the pastor. But suddenly another member of the committee, one whom we all knew had recently lost a loved one herself to cancer, offered to pray. And that prayer, I don't know how else to explain it, was one of the most beautiful and sincere prayers I've ever heard. She prayed for the man who'd just been diagnosed, and for his wife, and for our meeting, and for God's Spirit to be with us and to guide us. And as she prayed, everyone around the table heard her supplication within the larger context of what she, the one praying, had herself recently been through. When she finished, she said, Amen. And then our chair, brushing tears from her eyes, called us back to order, and we began. It was a deeply moving moment. And here now is my reason for telling you about it. Suddenly, though we'd all been braced for a fight, the emotional climate in the room shifted. For a spirit of peace and compassion had now come over the room. And to the larger point, that spirit, that spirit for whose presence our committee chair had just prayed, that spirit began to supervene on all of us, to press down upon us. So much so that even those two who had come ready to fight, Even those two who had been engaged in a proxy war over this very meeting for over two weeks now, suddenly even those two were affected by the downward force of that gentle, peaceable spirit in the room. And consequently, as the meeting went on, both of those members eventually gave in tacitly acknowledging that the item over which they were in disagreement was in reality quite minor. Certainly not something over which to sever long-standing relationships and sow seeds of communal discontent. 
In short, an entirely new reality was made possible that night on account of the supervenient power of the risen Christ Jesus' spirit interceding from his exalted dimension to ours. This is the final sermon in our four-week series on intercessory prayer. And I close with this sermon on supervenience so as to highlight two critical points. The first being this. Sin, as Paul says, is indeed a being with agency. And it therefore supervenes on all things. We can never fully evade it any more than a water molecule can ever really shed its wetness. But, and here's point number two, so too is the spirit of the risen Jesus a being with agency, and it is also capable of supervening on all things, transforming broken human beings ever so slightly more into the likeness of himself. And thus, I bring up sin and the spirit and the nature of supervenience today in this final sermon in this sermon series in order to highlight an aspect of intercessory prayer that I think is of vital importance. And that is the significance of a sincere human plea to the risen, glorified Jesus to intercede for us in our daily reality. That is, in our givenness to capital S, sin, loosening us from its supervening power and breathing upon us his own transformative, supervening spirit. For such, I truly believe, is the only real antidote to the pernicious power of sin's supervenient nature. Hear once more the author of Hebrews. Let us approach in prayer the risen Jesus with a true heart and full assurance of faith, and let us consider how to provoke one another to love and to good deeds. And wrapping up this sermon and with it this sermon series, let us be bold in going before the risen Jesus, the one who is high and lifted up, the one who is even now far above the supervening powers and principalities of this world, and let us solicit from him a spirit that can indeed resist such supervening sin. Yes, let us solicit from him a spirit that itself supervenes on our humanity transforming us moment by moment, instance by instance, into something altogether new. And then in full assurance of his faithfulness, let us strive to provoke one another toward those things that are truly becoming of God's kingdom. Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Yes, seize the opportunity and intercede for us, Lord Jesus, we pray. And this we pray in your mighty, supervening name. And all God's people said,